Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is the Comfort's Corner Edition, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry, how we are recovering from the COVID-19 virus pandemic and its impact on public transit, and more news about the public transit industry. We've got a great show lined up for you today with a great newsmaker interview as well. But first, we want to hit the headline news of what's been happening across public transit industry. Uh, most people, according to Axios News Service, have been avoiding public transit if they can, but a new report in The Atlantic says there's no evidence subways and buses are to blame for the coronavirus outbreak. It matters because public transportation is essential to the resumption of normal economic activities in our cities, but some people are preferring to drive their own car. And uh, some concerns about riding transit, according to the author of this article, Jeanette Sadiq Khan, former commissioner of the New York City Department of Transportation, says their concerns are overblown. She says, despite scary stories pegged to an MIT economist reports about New York subway system, some of the biggest U.S. outbreaks have been in meatpacking plants and nursing homes, which are far away from public transit. Hard-hit cities like Milan, Tokyo, and Seoul that have reopened their transit systems have not seen subsequent infection spikes. And uh, so while there's still a lot we don't know about the transit, about the virus, uh, this is uh, interesting information. At the MTA in New York, they are, you know, continuing to move forward with uh, working to keep drivers safe. Um, they've got a uh, Wally Javade, MD, Director of Infection Prevention Control at Mount Sinai, says it's important for people to acknowledge that while there may be a decrease in coronavirus, we're not in a post-COVID time completely yet. And um, Dr. Glade Bender, uh, Vice Chair for Clinical Research at Memorial Sloan Kettering says, the key is you're not gonna get this virus from touching something that has a virus on it. You're only gonna get this virus if you touch something that has a virus on it, and then you pick your nose or touch your eyes or put your fingers in your mouth. That's a quote from this doctor. So MTA, uh, Metro North, Long Island Railroad, New Jersey Transit are doing a lot of things to keep riders safe. I just wanna read you some of the plan of action, which has just been released from the MTA in New York in order to, what they say, to ensure a safe return to New York City public transportation, including subways will continue to shut down from 1 to 5 a.m. each morning so the MTA can clean and disinfect the trains and the stations. Some trains and buses will run during this time for essential workers. Frequent touch points on subway cars, buses, and access to ride vehicles will be disinfected every 24 hours. A crew will be cleaning during the day and overnight in terminals and overnight in yards and bus depots. They are requiring riders to wear face masks uh, to keep themselves and their fellow riders safe. And they'll be checking employee temperatures regularly and constantly disinfecting workspaces and distributing mini hand sanitizers throughout the stations um, and a lot more things. Uh, yellow markers to encourage social distance. They'll provide masks to riders who do not have them. And uh, they're encouraging riders to use Omni, which is the MTA's contactless payment system if they're available. And the MTA will publicize daily ridership to show New Yorkers how many people are riding public transit. So those are, that's from uh, an article in uh, New York Metro Parents uh, about what's happening there. Uh, other big news, another big news uh, outside of just the coronavirus situation, been a big announcement this last week that there is a new organization called the North American Transit Alliance, representing over 150,000 transit employees across more than 2,000 cities in the U.S. and Canada has been formed. In their press release, we said that we are excited to announce that six of the largest private transit operating firms have come together to form the North American Transit Alliance, or NADA. The group will help cities in North America flourish by promoting innovative transportation solutions that ensure transit is safe, clean, and prepared for the challenges that lie ahead. 
Public transit has always been essential, but the need for transit to quickly adapt to the challenges facing North America has never been as evident as it is today. NADA will work diligently with public transit agencies to help shape a future where public transportation is personable, equitable, and highly sustainable. The future of our economy depends on safe, effective, reliable public transit. NADA's members bring ideas that will help pave the way for what tomorrow's mobility looks like today, said Dick Alexander, TransDAV CEO and chair of NADA's board. We must fundamentally rethink how transportation services are delivered for the communities we serve. We will help do that by bringing proven solutions and a deeply experienced workforce, Alexander continued. Uh, first transit president, Brad Thomas, who serves as NADA vice chair said, the transportation industry continues to evolve with new technologies that create opportunities for more cost-effective and dynamic modes of mobility. He said, with our diverse range of experience, NADA's members are well positioned to partner with public transit agencies in building new, efficient, and accessible operating models. In addition to promoting innovation in transit, NADA will advocate for its members' workforces, which account for 35% of the total U.S. public transportation's labor pool with more than 154,000 employees. And um, they are looking forward to the members of the group. Uh, include First Transit, Keolis, MV Transportation, National Express, RATP Dev, and TransDev. Over 19% of the passenger journeys are over 1 billion trips in the U.S. In 2018, were completed using services provided by private contractors and private transportation. That is members operate in 46 states, five provinces, and 2,000 cities, and I'm honored to have been chosen as the first executive director of the organization. I'll be doing that in addition to my other duties as hosting this podcast, writing books, and serving as uh, Vice President of Business Development for Trapeze Group. So big new group coming up and uh, excited to be part of it as we continue to amplify the message that public transportation is a key essential ingredient, not just for public transportation, but for the economy to continue to move forward. And finally, along those same lines in Mass Transit Magazine this week, it was announced that nine companies in eight states have signed on as the first participants in the Automated Vehicle Transparency Engagement for Safe Testing Initiative, AV Test, uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation's new initiative to improve the safety and testing transparency of autonomous or automated driving systems. There are a number of participating companies, including Beep, Cruise, Fiat, Chrysler, uh, Local Motors, Navia, Neuro, Toyota, Uber, and Waymo. And the states that are involved in this are California, Florida, my home state of Maryland, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Utah. U.S. Secretary of Transportation Elaine Chow said, through this initiative, the department is creating a formal platform for federal, state, and local governments to coordinate and share information in a standard way. The AVA test initiative will include a series of public events around the country to improve transparency and safety in the development and testing of automated driving systems, and participants can share information about their activities, which will help increase the public's awareness of testing, centralize USDOT's role in promoting safety and innovation, and build stronger relationships among federal, state, and local governments and stakeholders. So it's an exciting time for autonomous vehicles here in the U.S. Folks like Nat Ford in Jacksonville, Florida, have come up with new and unique ways to utilize them. And we're looking to see a brand new future uh, of public transit coming out of this COVID-19 crisis that is a lower touch environment. And of course, autonomous vehicles help uh, to move us in that direction. That's it for our headline news. Now stay tuned for our Newsmaker interview, plus Elia Carey's Messaging Minute and Mike's Minute on being kind and a reading from our book, The Future of Public Transportation. All that on this edition of Transit Unplugged Comforts Corner. Thanks for being with us. Stay safe. 
Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director of Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about random acts of kindness, mentorship, and leadership in the hopes that it'll inspire you to pay it forward. This week, I'd like to touch a bit on mentoring. Mentoring couldn't be more important than it is currently. With the state of transit and the current global pandemic, and the daily issues that are facing us in transit currently, and the workforces that are trying to support it. It's important to understand who the mentors will be in your organization and what message they're trying to pass on. The message must align, obviously, with the organizational's long-term goals and strategies. However, what's important to know is that you can't just assign a mentor. The best mentors typically don't know their mentors. They just have habits that others try and emulate, try and look up to. Most often, they lead by example, with no expectation of appreciation. When we talk about retention and engagement, succession planning, and trying to create a culture of learning, we often look to the wrong people. We don't understand that every single person in the organization has the ability to be a mentor. Remember, the mission of mentoring is to add value to everyone and gain value from everyone. We all have the opportunity to pass on something that will value someone else. The journey of mentoring starts here because it's you. We can all be that person. I challenge you to be the mentor you wish you had because you can. Be kind, one of a kind. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and stay safe. Transit Unplugged, Comfort Corner. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and thank you so much for being with us as we take a special look every other week inside the COVID-19 crisis and the recovery from it and how public transportation is leading the way for our cities uh, in order to return to our new normal. And I'm very excited to have with us on our Newsmaker Hotline today, Dr. Graham Curry, who is Professor of Public Transport at Monash University and Director of the Public Transport Research Group. Graham, thank you so much for uh, being a guest for us today. Hey, Paul, it's great to be here. I love your podcast. Love what you're doing. Thank you. And, and uh, so you've started a podcast too, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, it's very research oriented. So it's about what's, what's new in uh, how we plan and uh, manage and operate our transit systems. Uh, and it's an academic podcast. Uh, so um, that's what we're focusing on. And quite frankly, it's inspired by you and your work, uh, because uh, as a researcher, I'm always meeting people around the world who are good. And it's quite interesting to meet these people and uh, hear what they're doing and what innovative new things they're coming up with. And I thought the, the uh, audience would be interested because I find academic research is extremely hard to uh, get a hold of when you're, when you're a practical person in the real world operating transit systems. Yeah. Yet there's a lot of good stuff coming out of it. And we need to find ways to communicate to people that are busy. And I think podcasts, you know, these sorts of things are a great way of doing that. And what's the name of yours? It's called Researching Transit. Um, and it's available, uh, uh, you know, from the usual uh, uh, sources. All platforms, uh, yeah. Yeah, platforms. And uh, we've also got it on our website, which is ptrg.info, uh, Public Transport Research Group. Great. Well, for our, uh, our guests on the, our, our audience on the program, uh, Professor Curry and I uh, got to hang out last year while I was in Australia. We had a, a great cup of coffee in the coffee city of Melbourne. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Graham, and, uh, and your university and what you do there. So I'm an ex-transit planner from the UK. Um, I used to work for Transport for London. 
I was at the sort of forefront of new technologies in public transport. Um, and then I came to Australia, was a consultant for many years with major consulting groups around the world on new transit projects. And then the industry got together and created an industry chair in Australia, uh, where uh, my job's to try and help the world industry get better at what it does using the power of research at universities. That's wonderful. And uh, you're based out of where in Australia? We're at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, big transit system here. Uh, we've got the largest tram system in the world. And a lot of my career I've worked on all modes, but particularly light rail. And I also have a role in the United States in the US Transportation Research Board. I run the Light Rail Transit Systems Committee at TRB. Very good. So tell us about, um, you and I were doing a webinar recently for UITP for Australia and New Zealand, and you mentioned on that one that you've done some research lately about recovery of transit after this COVID-19 crisis, and that's largely what we've been focused on up until now on, our sh on this show. So tell me about, you know, your research and what you found. Yes, yeah, so the research is focusing on the very long term. How has COVID, how has the shutdown affected travel demand, and how will it once the pandemic is over, when we have a solution, I think there's four phases of COVID. There's before we had it, there's shutdown when everything's closed down. Then there's post-shutdown when we try and get back together, but we've still got social distancing. We've still got the pandemic. And then we've got the period after that when we find a solution. And I'm pretty sure we will find a solution. I think that long term will be uh, you know, a year or so off. But that is kind of an important time because that's when we need to get back together again. Yes. And so what, what does your research look into and what have you found? Okay, well, it's been very interesting. We've set, we firstly looked at uh, previous evidence. Uh, I've had a long history of working on research in disruptions. Most, most travel is behavioral. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of um, habitual. We do it uh, again and again. But it's quite interesting to look at when the world changes. And there's a heck of a lot of research in the field, to be honest. Um, there's already evidence from previous pandemics. Um, there's security threats that we've had that have caused big changes in our trans travel. There's planned disruptions. I, I've worked on all of the Summer Olympic Games transport plans on public transport systems since Atlanta in 96. And we really changed cities with that. Then there's unplanned disruptions, things like railways failing. And then there's economic crisis. And all this evidence tells us a very interesting story. And that is that although during events, there's quite a lot of changes in travel, uh, there's very little evidence that those changes last for a long time. Uh, and also they're quite small. They're very hard to measure even. Uh, and uh, what I think this is telling us is that uh, it's quite possible that the long-term effects of this may not be as big as we think they will be. There's a lot of crisis media at the moment, doom and gloom, saying how yeah. the world is going to be terrible. And I think that's not correct what the evidence says. Also, we've done some uh, surveys and we found that uh, in our, our samples, uh, the, 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 the population just actually wants to get back to where they were. were. And yes. it's very fine to find much difference. And we've got some other data as well, which is quite conclusive. And this is from the, the SARS outbreak in Asia. We've looked at cities which are really badly affected by SARS. It was a very contagious disease. Actually, it was more contagious uh, and uh, had a higher death rate than COVID-19. And those cities were hugely hit badly. This is Hong Kong, Taipei. 
Um, but as soon as a solution was found, within three to six months, ridership was back again and were booming. Uh, now, this is telling a story. And that story is that um, although we're in a bad position now, although we're going to face even worse times after shutdown, when we've still got the virus and got social, social distancing, uh, there's quite a lot of evidence gathering now that the long term after this will be very much like before COVID. That's good. That's good news. You're one of the first people I've heard to say that. I like that. So you have an optimistic kind of glass half full view huh, based on the research you've done. Well, I'm very fortunate to be that you can say that to me. My purpose is not really to be uh, biased one way or the other. My purpose is just to use real evidence to help us get through this. And that, this is where research is important, Paul. I, I think this is where uh, we have a lot of uncertainty. You know, the industry is going through a terribly bad time now. And we really need to get some evidence to help us with this. I think the media is extremely powerful globally now. And I think it's really got onto this mantra of doom and gloom um, because, of course, we're all worried there's fear out there. Well, in those situations, we've got to reuse, use real evidence. And uh, my positions based on that evidence, I'm not particularly trying to be positive. I'm just right. seeing the way it is. That's good. Interesting. Tell us a little bit about, uh, since you're there in Australia, uh, what has been the impact on transit in Australia and how has New Zealand uh, They've kind of gone back totally normal, it seems like. Um, I've just been reading about that. Talk to us a little bit about all that. Well, I think the starting point is, uh, you know, Australia, uh, other side of the world, but our cities are very American, quite frankly, very car dominated. Um, the, and also with COVID, uh, we have very low infection rates. Uh, the total number of deaths in Australia during the entire pandemic period is 102. Uh, wow. You know, the United States is over 113 odd thousand at the moment, as I understand it. We've had 7,000 total cases. The United States has had 2 million. Um, so uh, we've managed to contain it. We've done a really good job. Uh, what, what are my, a lot of my transit clients, uh, well, they've been facing boom time in transit ridership. We have in my own city, Melbourne, we're investing over uh, $57 billion in new, new transport systems. And uh, most of that's public transport, new metros and so forth, because we've been booming. And yeah. they're asking, uh, are we going to boom in the future? A lot of our population growth here has been based on immigration, because Australia is quite an attractive place to live. Well, what's going to happen in the future uh, when the rest of the world has had terrible infection rates? Terrible management of that, quite frankly, I think, uh, has been a, a part of that. Whereas uh, Australia and New Zealand, we've done a great job at it. Uh, we've really managed managed it and kept it down. And I think that will make us even more attractive in the future. So um, we were very worried about those projects, the investment, but I think, you know, things are looking pretty good for that. That's great. Um, so last question is, tell us a little bit more about um, what you're working on next uh, at Monash University. So you've done this study. What's coming? What new studies do you have? And by the way, thank you for writing a chapter uh, contributing a chapter to my book, The Future of Public Transportation. It's one of the most interesting, controversial, and uh, uh, amazing chapters in the whole book, I think. And it was a joy working with you and the other folks that we work with on getting that published. So thank you for doing that. And I encourage people, if you do have my book, The Future of Public Transportation, make sure you find Graham's chapter. I know a lot of people, I just got an email today from a guy saying, 
he's studying a PhD in transportation and he's got our book and he's using that, you know, to kind of help get his frame of mind right as it goes into it. But tell us about what else you're studying and what other, what are your findings about the future of public transportation? Uh, well, we have a lot of research on. We've maybe got 30-odd projects in, in different areas, but you've, you've raised one issue, which is a sort of a passion of mine. And I think the industry doesn't realize how important it's going to be in the future. You see, since 2007, the majority of the world's population now lives in cities, and mega cities in particular, the New York, size, New York City size mega cities, are really uh, multiplying immensely around the world. Now, in these cities, public transport's not a nice-to-have thing. You really cannot have megacities without it. So, as I see it, the industry's got a fantastic future of growth. I know it seems hard to say that now, and I think we don't realize how powerful that's going to be for the future. Uh, uh, one great example, in the book, I, uh, my uh, chapter's called Lies, Damn Lies, and Autonomous Vehicles. Right. And the reason I say this is because... Uh, People think autonomous vehicles are going to be the future. But uh, I point out a, a, some simple facts, again, just evidence. Uh, today on planet Earth, how many trips do you think we have in autonomous cars? I would say we'd be very lucky to have a few thousand because right. there's very few of them. Whereas right. on autonomous trains, driverless trains, there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of trips every day. Uh, something like, I think... Um, more than about half of all the trains in Asia have no driver. So the public transport industry dominates the technology of autonomous vehicles. And hardly anybody realizes that. We, th we think the industry's behind. No, we're yeah. in expansion phase. Um, and I think we've got a quite a, a good future. We're going through a bad time now, uh, but there's reason for optimism. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap this interview up? No, well, um, one of the things I do is my job is to try and help the industry. Uh, we run a website called um, uh, the um, uh, World Transit Research Clearinghouse. It's at uh, www.worldtransitresearchclearinghouse or worldtransitresearch.com or info. And uh, it has all the published research in all the leading journals on it. And uh, we've got uh, about uh, 300,000 odd users around the world. Uh, and, and if people are interested, they should go and have a look at that on our website. And of course, the Researching Transit uh, podcast series, uh, which um, is out there trying to get the message out and help people. Yeah, and I encourage uh, all my listeners around the world. We're heard now, Graham, in 99 countries. Uh, I encourage them to go to your website and to uh, listen to your podcast. I think you're one of the most amazing men in transit. And it's, it's an honor for me to have you on my show and to be your friend. That's very nice. Thank you, Paul. I'm Aaliyah Carey. I'm a communications consultant who enjoys working with public transit. In the last three weeks, we've seen the nation's largest health agency, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, loudly proclaim that employers should discourage their workers from riding on public transit. Then we watched as transit advocates and agencies have had to push back against that information. I've been watching this and thinking about crisis communications. Everybody listening to this has a crisis communications plan. If you don't, hit me up. But as of about the 1st of March, we've entered a whole new era of crisis communications. 
your old plan might not work, or you might need reminders about best practices. Here are three things to consider if you're facing a communications crisis. First of all, get your panicking out of the way and start planning. You're probably going to panic. We're all panicking on some level during this crisis anyway. But don't let your panicking affect your best practices. Get everyone into your situation room or your situation Zoom. You want your stakeholders, your possible surrogates. Think about what they can do, what channels your information needs to go on, and start making a plan for a very long pushback campaign. Next, think about how you're going to target that messaging for your most important audiences. When big news hits, everybody gets to hear that messaging. You're probably not going to have the luxury of having so many ears attuned to a big announcement, but you can make that disadvantage work to your, to your advantage, really. Target your message carefully, trim it down to a few key points, and point it right at the people who need to hear it. And then get ready for that long tail. We've been living in a news cycle since the 1st of March in which a big piece of information hits. You have the advantage if you're responding to a crisis to be able to play out your messaging over a much longer period of time and slowly begin to replace the damaging information with facts that are under your control. If you'd like to talk more about crisis communications for transit in the age of COVID-19, or really anything communications and transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, and my last name is C-A-R-E-Y. Hey, thanks for being with us again on Comfort's Corner, Transit Unplugged, as we have taken a deep dive into what's happening around the transit industry. And now we want to take a look forward, as we always do, at the end of our show, metaphorically looking into the future over the horizon by reading sections from our best-selling book, The Future of Public Transportation. It was an Amazon number one bestseller and it's still been future-proof. I've been uh, giving webinars on this book over the last few weeks in places as diverse as you know, Africa, the Middle East, Australia, Canada, and um, it still is very relevant and future-proof. And today I wanna to read from a friend of mine's chapter, Andrea Potter, who's general manager at TripSpark Technologies, chapter 27, called The Road, From Transit on Demand to Mobility on Demand. Andrea Potter's been uh, an institution in the technology side of transit. I remember working with her back in the early 2000s when I was at Yellow Transportation, a general manager there, and she was helping our company uh, with the software. And now she heads up this big software company, TripSpark, who uh, is a sister company to Trapeze. And I actually do some work with TripSpark. Um, you haven't seen the video that we that they put out of an interview with me about the book uh you can go to my linkedin page or go to the tripspark website and take a look at it they're actually giving away uh, copies of the book to those who sign up for it there at that site at tripspark but um and i'm also looking at possibly doing a uh kind of a live talk show uh with folks uh through tripspark coming up in the months to come so we'll see how that goes it may be like a youtube type style talk show so the chapter i'm going to read though is uh Page 261, Andrea Potter says, while everyone agrees on the definition of mobility on demand and the philosophical arguments for it, few can agree on what implementation looks like or how to get there, and that's okay. The current challenge is facing smaller and urban and rural agencies. This is something we don't always talk about on this show, but it's where my roots are. You know, I got my roots in a small county transit system, Department of Aging, and uh, uh, she's going to talk about it here. I'm just going to read a small portion of her chapter. 
As a multimodal software company providing fixed route paratransit, non-emergency medical, K through 12 school and rideshare solutions to smaller urban and rural agencies, including campuses, our customers typically serve large geographic areas with a high percentage of non-drivers, such as older adults, students, veterans, and low-income families living in the suburbs. Low density and increasing demand for transit in rural areas make for a unique set of challenges. The goal of transit agencies in rural communities is to provide equitable, efficient, and convenient transportation. They often must be more creative than large urban agencies in how they offer these services due to limitations in funding and resources. Some agencies use disparate software to manage their disparate services and are looking for ways to consolidate and use their vehicles and drivers more flexibly to fill empty seats, make better use of resources, and provide better services to riders. They want a solution that can meet their basic needs and will scale up as their demands grow. Our customers offer a range of services, including fixed route, flex route, specialized or paratransit, regional integrated service, commuter services, contracted service for universities, subsidized taxis, carpools, van pools, integration with TNCs, and even volunteer drivers. They offer transportation services within their communities, between communities, and connect communities with employment hubs. These services will continue to exist in the future, but may be blended or expanded. And uh, I see that happening. And I'm going to flip to the end of her chapter where she talks about innovating together. She said, we believe that smaller urban and rural agencies will be at the forefront of adopting mobility on demand because they are more willing to adopt and adapt new services if they can find options that meet their budgets while improving service provided to their community. Necessities of mother invention, mobility on demand won't be dictated by a vendor, but will be driven by agencies' creativity and riders' demands. And you can contact her at tripspark.com uh, to find out more. Thanks so much for being with us today as we uh, took a look at what's happening around the industry and now keep our eyes fixed forward. Thank you.